a new year. And the media always like to trot out the best of award shows and retrospective looks back. Okay, we're players. We'll play too. For the next hour, from the press box to press row, we'll be looking back at some of the highlights of our short time on the air. And because he's sitting behind the good mic in a custom-fit blazer, here's your host, Donald Ware. It's the 2019 year-end review show on the Dopest Show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. You know how we've been doing this thing since 2005. At this time of year, we take a look back at some of our most memorable interviews. And we're going to take a look back at the months of January through May on the program. You know, we kick things off, and this was a great year. I mean, it's it's interesting because when you're doing the show and... It's a you know we're doing it. It's a week to week thing. Of course, we have the HBCU Football Daily podcast, but it's a week to week thing with this program, and you have so many great guests. And then when I go back and look, I have to look at all of the guests that we've had over the time, and some guests we're not going to be able to get to, unfortunately. But I mean, it, it, we've had some great guests on from the press box to press row in 2019. We actually kicked things off. In January, Cy Alexander, the former head men's basketball coach at South Carolina State, North Carolina A&T, Tennessee State, came on. The program had just come out with a new book, and we had a really good conversation with Coach Alexander. Said Cy Alexander should be looked at as the next coach out of a lower major conference to make a jump, but someone needs to give him a shot. Why were you never given that shot? Well, and that's what we talk about, Donald, in the book. I was the bridesmaid, Ohio State University, uh, Old Dominion University, uh, American University, Southern Illinois University, University of Miami. And, you know, I'm not saying for sure, but you've got to look at it as a potential factor that people sometimes – just didn't want to take a chance on a, a coach who had been successful, very successful, coming from a historically black college and university. And I talk about that, and I'm not, uh, and, and we talk about it in the last, uh, in the epilogue of the book that we said the, the elephant in the room that we really didn't really hit on hard was uh, uh, racism. And, and you know, and we all know that there is a systemic racism in this in this country in almost any anything that you do and you've got to learn as a as a professional how to navigate it and and what I did was every time I was I fell short in in and what I what I always did Donald was over prepare myself and I left every interview Knowing I had done my job, but it, you know, if I can't make anybody hire me in this sort of thing, so um, you know, I think there was some of it had to do with the fact that you know I was coming from an historically black college and university. So what I did was I tried to make my situation, and I learned this from Hubie Brown, who I've gotten to know really well, and he said, "Coach, make your situation the best it can be. You work hard, and you." And we did that. And fortunately, if you look at it, uh, Don Corbett, former head coach and who's now deceased, uh, won seven MEAC tournaments. He won more. He made more NCAA tournament appearances and never was given a chance to move from A&T. And I'm second with six. And and, and people don't understand. I was doing a podcast the other day. Uh, about how difficult it is when you're working in in a conference where you, 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 it's it's the, it's the tournament, it's all or nothing. You, no matter what you did during the regular season, you can go you know 22 and two, and 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 if you don't win that tournament, you, you don't get a bid to the NCAA tournament. So the, the pressure that you're under and the microscope that you're under to compete in that that makes uh, a MEAC tournament or a Big South tournament or a Southern tournament or a SWAC, 
that makes that tournament just that more pressurized because there's only one person going out of that out of that conference. Whereas in the ACC, you can lose in the first round if you won 18, 19 games, you still go into the big dance. So uh, that that was kind of the the, the 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 world I lived in for you know 40 years. Former A and T. Tennessee State and South Carolina State head men's basketball coach Cy Alexander back in January. Speaking of coaching legends, another coaching legend joined us in January on From the Press Box to Press Row, the MEAC's all-time winningest coach in college football, Hall of Famer Joe Taylor. Is that somewhere that you wanted to be throughout the course or looking back on your career as a head coach at an FBS school? Well, you know, Donna, uh, my wife and I, uh, at one point, we started off in Eastern Illinois uh, and won a national championship in 1978. And it was really a decision in terms of career choices. Um, and I'm, you know, not trying to put myself in the line of uh, Martin Luther King, but, you know, we just always wanted to be where we thought we could be the most effective in terms of helping young African-American young men. Um, when I was at Easton, uh, you know, it was obvious that a lot of the young men that I coached uh, at the end of their four years could get a shave and get a haircut and go and join the family business. Well, that wasn't the case in my mind with a lot of African-Americans. So we decided to get off of that uh path of trying to pursue, uh, you know, the PWIs or the pro ranks, because in the pros, you know, that's a meat market. And we were more in tune with trying to create a situation where young men could use this athletic ability and plan a path for them where they would be successful for life. And that was just a career choice. Now, certainly we had interviews with the uh, PWIs and, uh, and, and really had some opportunities, but we just chose to, uh, be at the HBCU because we felt like we could make more of a difference in terms of affecting lives in a real positive way. Joe Taylor enshrined into the College Football Hall of Fame on December the 10th. Talk with a couple of actors and actresses in 2019 here on From the Press Box to Press Row. One of the actresses we talk with, Javica Leslie, who stars, of course, in the TV program God Friended Me. She's a graduate of Hampton and talked about her time at Hampton. Um, I think that what's important that you learn from Hampton is really like connections with people um, and the power of connections with people. You, you know, to all people that are, like, sitting in college right now and they're sitting at their desk, the person behind you, the person beside you, the person in front of you, they're going to be a CEO of some kind of company one day. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be the casting director or they're going to be the director or they're going to be the producer or they're going to be someone that you're going to talk past with. So you keep those connections and you make sure that you're kind to everybody that you talk past with. When I was in L.A., I got a meeting, uh, a general meeting with Robbie Reed, who's the main casting director of BET, and she knew me because her daughter was in Hampton. Wow. So it's just like, it's that simple. Like, it's that simple. You be, all, What college is, it's another networking opportunity for you, for all, for everyone that's there, to really be able to take things to another level. Like, that's, that's what this world is built on. It's built on connections, and it's built on, I'm, I'd rather hire someone that, went to the same school as me, then hire someone that I don't know whatsoever, you know, because at least now I know that they have some type of, we share some value that might be the same because we both went to the same university for four years that taught us the same thing. So you, you kind of have to make sure that you, you value that and don't, don't dismiss that. And that's something I really learned. Javika Leslie joining us back in January. We move on now to February. Stay in Hollywood one of the great actors of all time, Richard Roundtree Shaft, joined us right here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I guess you're going to have what more of a uh, more of a prominent role in this new uh, version of Shaft, correct? 
No, it's 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 uh, it's an enlarged cameo, if you will. Okay. Um, Sam and his son is and and uh, Sam's uh, ex-wife. The, most of the film centers around them, and I come in uh, three quarters of the way through the film, an important role, and I had all the great deal of fun playing playing off these guys it, it was it was a lot of fun <laughs> and as man it is the, one of the best shaft movies yet <laughs> okay okay let me ask you this fair how does it compare with the ones that you originally did three of them the ones that you originally did back in the 70s um it's the best one since the first one no from where i sit it's the best one since the first one excellent of course, the one and only Richard Roundtree joins us here on the program. What do you remember most? And again, by the way, the film What Men Want is in theaters now. What do you remember most about uh, those days, uh, especially in the uh, in the 70s and, and those films, which were super important uh, and, and, and most notably you playing the role of Shaft? What most comes to your mind? Gordon Parks, the director, he was Shaft from his class from the way he dressed, and I look back on it, and I see Gordon Parks, and I'm <laughs> indebted to that man, because the class and, and, and sophistication of that character stands up today, and he permeated that, that, that first one. That's why, it sta- that, that's why it stands up, to say nothing of the music from Isaac Hayes. <laughs> I mean, what? But, you know, you know, what a time in film, though, right? Like, that was... I mean, that was like a really not only is it was obviously an important time uh, in film, but definitely a magical time in film. I mean, obviously, films are much different now. But what you know, what a time in film overall that was. That's what makes it an iconic film. The timing and when that when that music came out and people were saying, well, is it a film connected to it? That <laughs> was a driving force. That's funny. <laughs> and to this day, you, when you hear that. Man, <laughs> it's on. The one and only Richard Roundtree. Still to come here on the year-end review show, Joey Logano, Gary Payton, Lee Elder, also Taraji P. Henson. Next, we're continuing with the month of February here on the year-end review show. Hello, this is Janelle Monet. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson. Yeah, what's up, y'all? You know who it is, your boy, the one and only B-Block General, Jaden Kiss. What's up, y'all? This is your favorite uncle, Charlie, last name Wilson, Uncle Charlie. I'm right here. You listen to Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. All right, enough selling stuff already. Let's talk more sports as we bring you the very best of from the press box to press row. Here's your host, Donald Ware. Santa baby. Welcome back to From the Press Box to Press Row. It's our 2019 year-end review show. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. Hope you're enjoying this holiday season. We continue in the month of February and had a chance to catch up with Shaw guard Amir Hinton tore up Division Two. As a matter of fact, by the time the season was all finished, had averaged close to 30 points per game, had a chance to catch up with him back in February right here on From the Press Box to Press Row. So two years at Lock Haven where you were scoring, doing good things. How do you ultimately end up at Shaw, here at Shaw? Um, well, I got my release paper. Once I figured out I was leaving um, Lock Haven, we, you know, we bounced around, talked to a lot of various schools and, try to see if I wanted to go D1 and sit out a year or how that, you know, the NCAA has it, has their own rules. But um, for me, I wanted to play right away. So uh, I wanted to go, and if, if I knew I wanted to play right away, I wanted to go to a program that could possibly get me to the uh, next level, which is the NBA. That's my that's my higher goal for myself. And um, we got connected with the, you know, the coaching staff and, you know, and we just put together a plan and 
here we are. We we here. We trying to make the best of it. We have a fun while we here. Yeah. What what made Shaw the right fit? What why why you to your point? You probably could have had your fill of where you wanted to go. Why Shaw? Um. Well, for me, it was um really the the coach. I wanted to be coached. I, I wanted to be coached by a person that had experience and a person that could get me where I wanted to be. Again, um, and, and I seen them play, and I kind of like the atmosphere, that how everybody's in tune with basketball in uh, North Carolina, not only North Carolina, but like down here in this down south uh, area, uh, opposed to where I came from. It was more wrestling, and you know, so at, when I came here, I kind of like what's going on and how people are really in tune to it. And it's like a basketball state and city, so. That's the main thing that really brought me down here. And it's, you know, it's a lot of different schools around Duke, like Duke. So it's, it's obviously a lot of basketball going on down here. So I really just wanted to be in a, a real basketball environment with real basketball heads to live and play at. Amir Hinton went undrafted in this past year's NBA draft. However, was signed by the New York Knicks, currently playing with the Knicks G League team, averaging almost 11 points per game. Also joining us in the month of February here on From the Press Box to Press Row, talking about Raleigh at, with Shaw University being in Raleigh, Raleigh native Nate McMillan, the head coach of the Indiana Pacers, joined us on the program. And what did it mean for you, Nate, to be able to get uh, that contract extension prior to this season? Well, you know, it just showed me that the organization and I were on the same page as far as the direction uh, we wanted to uh, go forward uh, with. And that is uh, we felt like last year uh, with the change of uh, our roster, uh, having to uh, trade Paul George and we got Victor Oladipo and Sabonis uh, in that trade. And uh, we had, you know, a year that most people didn't expect us to have. Uh, We was able to make it to the playoffs and, uh, you know, have some success uh, in the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Cleveland ended that uh, in the first round. But just felt that the direction we were going uh, as far as the organization was the the right way. And uh, they wanted to extend me. I wanted to be a part of that, uh, you know, the future of this organization and, and, and building uh, this team. And, uh, you know, so – you know, it's always uh, you're, you're always appreciative and feel blessed when you know organization steps up and uh, extend and uh, show that uh, they like what you you know like what you're doing. You know, now now in the '93, '94, in the '94, '95 season, you were second team All NBA. You should have been first team All NBA one of those years, right, Nate? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I needed your vote during that time. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, listen, I, I was still, you know, Nate, I wasn't doing this at this time. Like, I was still in school yeah. at that time. Oh, so you're dating me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to, okay, Nate. <laughs> okay, all right, okay, all right. But I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was a player that was coming off the bench and to uh, receive those honors were, you know, in in the in a league uh, such as the NBA with you know, so many uh, really good defenders uh, during that time. I mean, it was it was an honor to be recognized. Indiana Pacers head coach Nate McMillan. Pacers not doing too bad as we speak. We move on now to the month of March. Another former NBA player and an NBA executive, Sharif Abdurrahim, joined us on From the Press Box to Press Row to kick off, Mark. How are you liking your digs with the G League? I'm enjoying it. It's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity. You know, our league is in a, in a great place. We're 27 teams, 28 teams next year, all connected and affiliated with NBA teams. So you know, we're a growing team of, of development and growing. And so much of what the G League is about is innate to my own um, journey through basketball and just development and growth. So I'm really fortunate to be in the position I'm in at this time. Where do you kind of stand on the one-and-done rule? Well, look, I, I think, you know, for me at the time, you know, I, I did. I was at Cal. I had, you know, I probably exceeded my expectations in, in my one year um, and, you know, had the opportunity to, to, to go pro. I think for me, I wasn't. I wasn't ready out of high school to do it. At the G League, we're offering starting next year. We're offering we're offering the opportunity for 
high school kids that if they don't want to go to college, you know, not in competition with the NBA, we're offering an opportunity through our pro, our pro path program that they can come to the G League and start their professional career um, there. Uh, we have a partnership with Arizona State University. They can also um, start their education there as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's an option that we're offering uh, with the G League. You know, I think the thing about development and education in general is that, you know, we all grow and progress at a at different pace. Former NBA player Sharif Abdurrahim, now the president of the NBA G League. Also in the month of March, had a chance to catch up with North Carolina A&T track and field star Kayla White was setting records all over the place. And she joined us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I'm not just an HBCU sprinter. I'm one of the best sprinters in the nation. And I think sometimes, and I think it's a great point, and I think it was a great quote, because I think sometimes in our world of HBCU sports, we're all, you know, we're, we, we have such pride about our schools, right? And then outside of it, outside of the HBCU world, uh, people want to classify you as oh, HBCU. So tell yeah. me what you meant by that quote. I'm not just an HBCU sprinter. I'm one of the best sprinters in the nation. So what I meant by that quote was, of course, I know I'm a great sprinter coming from HBCU. You know, I'm doing all these great things. But, you know, it's so celebrated in the HBCU world that once it gets, you know, the bigger stages with the Power Five, they're surprised and they don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, she came out of nowhere. Like, no, I've been here. And you guys decided to not acknowledge what I've been doing for so long that, you know, once I got to the bigger stage, I just had to put on a show to let let them know that I'm here. So that's pretty much what I meant by that quote. That's the voice of Kayla White. She's a senior out of from Miami, of course, of North Carolina A&T, named the 2019 NCAA track and field Athlete of the Year. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Of course, ran the the 200 meter in 22.62, and then ran of I should say finished second in the 60 meter hurdles. Um, so, but not too long ago, you ran the 22.82, which was the standard. So, tell us how you were able to shave off, you know, two tenths of a second <laughs> off your time, and ultimately run it in 22.62, which is the fastest time in the nation. So, I, you know, when I ran at 2282 in Arkansas, I kind of ran it by myself since I was out in lane six. You know, I didn't really have anyone to push me because the entire race I didn't see anyone. So, finally, in the um, final at Nationals, you know, I had the freshman Kennedy Flannel from Texas. She was to my outside, and I knew I had someone from Alabama to my inside that can run the 200 well, too. So, I felt like in that environment, in that setting, I was bound to run fast with those two girls to the outside of me. Former North Carolina A&T star Kayla White rounding out the month of March. Joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, an NBA legend Gardner Webb had just made its first ever appearance to the NCAA tournament and a former star at Gardner Webb, Artis Gilmore, NBA legend, joined us here on the program. Can you talk about um that time in the aba you playing against some great play dr j i mean you guys were rookie i can't believe that dr j rick barry some of these great players that we know what was that time like in the aba obviously there was a challenge between the two leagues the nba and the aba and the ultimately uh the the teams uh at the end of my five years uh term they were able to uh, uh come to an agreement and and they absorb five teams from the ABA and become expansion uh, franchise, and uh, and and everything moved forward. But uh, in the beginning, and you know, the process was uh, was really, you know, it was a challenge for me. I enjoyed it. It was a great experience of growth and and uh, observing the financial changes and uh, around me between the. The, the challenge for the merger to come about. Yeah, and they uh, the 75 ABA championship with the Colonels t- sort of take us through that season and then ultimately what it was like to play for Hubie Brown, who a Hall of Fame coach and a phenomenal uh, announcer. Well, Hubie, uh, you know, I acknowledge him as one of the greatest coaches of 
of all times, and certainly he proved that. Uh, you know, he was out of the NBA for about 20 years and returned and came back, and and he was able to uh, excel and become the uh, coach of the year uh, uh, with the Grizzlies. I mean, he just been a, a phenomenal and extraordinary coach, and he certainly was instrumental in elevating uh, the Kentucky Colonels to uh, – uh, a championship in 1975. All-time great, the A-Train. Artist Gilmore joining us here on the program. Still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row, you're going to hear from Miss USA, Chesley Christ. Also, Brad Keselowski joins us on the program. A couple of former HBCU players now playing in the National Football League, Titus Howard and Joshua Miles. Up next, the month of April on our 2019 year-end review show. It's our year-end review show for 2019 here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's roll into the month of April. Got things kicked off with NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace drives the number 43 for Richard Petty Racing. And we've had him on the show plenty of times before. But again, he joined us back in April here on the program you were able to uh to win a series back in 2013 um at martinsville and becoming the first african-american to do so to 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 win a nascar uh event since 1963 what did that mean to you uh it meant a lot that was a huge win for us and that was like a staple point in our um in, in my career and in, in my journey so that was a incredible feat and then knowing that the history behind it um since wendell scott was uh was pretty special i didn't know that going into it and that's kind of how i like to carry out my career is just go out and do the job on the track and let everything else settle in place after sure let me ask you this because i brought to daytona to the daytona 500 i brought my wife with me so she's like well who should i cheer for and you know we you weren't at the car at the time but you know prior to the race we were taking pictures at the car and all that kind of stuff but the thing about it um, you know, a lot of the, the African-American folks that were there were, you know, wanted to get a glimpse of you and wanted to get a glimpse of the car and, and you being one of the few uh, drivers of color that are on the series. So what does that what does that sort of mean to you when you have people that generally don't watch the race really gravitate to you? Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, you know, very honored to, you know, just be here in the spotlight and, and making the most of, of what I can and, and just small kid from you know born in alabama but grew up in concord was you know never had dreams of, of being at this level so for people to want to reach out and and uh, you know see see me in person just means a lot it's very humbling my mom's always there to, to never let me forget where i came from so that's uh you know that's been her mo from from day one is uh never forget and always stay humble and that's the that's the biggest thing i work on bubba wallace the only black driver on the highest level of NASCAR, joining us back in April here on the program. Speaking of making history, we had model Danielle Harrington on From the Press Box to Press Row became just the third black woman to grace the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Had a chance to talk with her about a number of other things also as well as being on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. It means everything. I mean, it means that there is, you know, a change in the industry and diversity as far as, you know, color and, you know, race and even as far as body type. So, I mean, it means so much. It means so much. And um, I'm just so happy that, you know, it was me and I'm just, Happy to represent, basically. Yeah. Sp- speaking a little bit of skin, and I, I want to talk with you about your your comfort level and how not only the comfort level is growing, but in terms that uh, I would equate it also to a confidence level um, and having confidence. Because I guess more recently you posted on um, Instagram a uh, you were doing I guess a a walkway deal in a in a uh, was it a leopard suit talk talk about i mean <laughs> yeah. now you were super confident doing that walk absolutely because i mean starting off in the industry i was never like really that thin so i never actually could even do runway or you know do certain things like that as far as like fashion goes because i'm too curvy i have too, too much boobs or too much booty or 
whatever the case was. So I think starting off with Sports Illustrated and have that, like, you know, I felt like I belonged there. And I felt like, I, you know, was a part of something that, you know, was just such a good message and just, you know, to be comfortable as women, we, we should be comfortable in our own skin. We shouldn't have people feel like people are judging us because of the shape of our bodies or just, you know. Yeah. So I think um, being with Sports Illustrated has, you know, it just made me even more comf- confident in my skin. And, you know, I, I want to be a advocate for that because I think all bodies are beautiful. You know, interestingly enough, you mentioned it and, and uh, you did grow up in Compton. The one thing, you know, I'm of a certain age. So the one thing that I know about Compton, which isn't much, but, you know, when you're talking about like NWA and King T and all of these <laughs> rappers that are from from there. I mean, I was a huge fan of of, of a lot of those uh, NWA uh, and, and King T and DJ Quick and so on and so forth. But what was it like growing up in Compton? It was fun. I mean, I I felt like I had a regular childhood. I mean, I mean, obviously you don't go down certain streets or don't stay out late or mm-hmm. like, you know, don't hang out on the corner of a certain store or certain things like that. But for the most part, I think my mom and my, you know, my family tried to make it as normal as possible for us. So, I mean, at my grandma's house, we used to go there after school every day. We had a swimming pool, like literally all the, like, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I know that, that it has something it's a bad rep, but I didn't grow up, like, in any way as far as, like, gang violence and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Obviously, I hear about it and stuff like that, and it's just, like, you have to kind of be safe. So we didn't, we couldn't stay outside past, you know, when the streetlights came on, we had to go in, um, but stuff like that. So it just, and then also on my, on my grandma's, the whole street, like, kind of knew us. I mean, it was. I feel like it was pretty normal. Model Daniel Harrington joining us in April. The glove, Gary Payton, had a tournament back in April where part of the prize money was for someone that talked the best trash, and nobody talked as much trash as Gary Payton as he joined us back in April here. On from the press box to press row. But did anybody ever provoke you? Did you provoke someone during your playing days? I always did this. <laughs> you know that. That was my thing, provoking people. You know, you have to be have tough skin because when you start to provoke people, what do they do? They pay attention more to you and get away from their, their concept of their team game. And then it's all about you, and then they don't think about everybody else around them and try to win the basketball game, and you have accomplished what you wanted to. You got them out of their game. You got them out of what you wanted them to do, and now it's a big thing that you're probably most likely going to win the basketball game was there a better trash talker in the history of the game than gary payton also joining us back in april here on the program nascar driver joey logano i mean really you're a veteran at 28 this is your 12th year on the main circuit does it feel like it's been 12 years (laughs) no it doesn't feel like it but uh I've been around a little bit, I guess. Um, you know, it's one of the advantages of starting really young is that you're able to have the experience you need to be able to go out there and be successful uh, in our sport, but still have the youth to be able to do it a long time. So, um, you know, it, it was a, the road to the, to the top got got uh, you know pretty rocky at times, and, and and definitely probably because I was inexperienced, I wasn't quite ready. But I feel like uh, the reward is happening right now as as a, you know, I have the experience to, to go out there and be successful. So um, it's, it's starting to work out all right now. Joey Logano, the 2018 NASCAR Cup Series champion. Also joining us in the month of April here on From the Press Box to Press Row, I call her the queen. I'll tell you why after you hear from her. Actress, one of the greats of our time, Taraji P. Henson. Joined us on the program. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, so you have, obviously this the, the film takes place in Durham. We're here in Raleigh, and you have some ties to North Carolina. So you started out at North Carolina A&T, correct? I did, my freshman year. Okay, so how, how was that? How was that Aggie Pride, almost Aggie Pride thing going? It was a great experience, but I was just there for all the wrong reasons. I was never supposed to be... Um, a mathematician or an electrician, I mean, an electrical engineer, that's never, (laughs) 
in my story, but for whatever reasons, I detoured <laughs> because I didn't get accepted into a fine art school. And I found out after my first semester, actually, that I wasn't mathematically wired when I failed pre-calculus. <laughs> and that's when I, my dad was like, you need to come back up here and enroll at Howard and go to school for acting because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So that's how I found my way back to acting. So he saw that in you early, and that's something that you wanted to do. Well, I didn't know. You know, as a kid, you don't know what you want to do. you just being a kid. And my dad just saw how uh, outspoken I was and I was the life of the party and, you know, I wasn't afraid to stand up in front of a group of people and make them laugh or sing a song. So he just called it and those that's the seeds he sowed in me and I grew up believing, believing it. Um, so he would be like, you're the greatest actress. You're, you're going to win an Oscar. You're going to do this. He started telling me that when I was a little kid. And so I kind of just started believing him. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you're you and you are a phenomenal actress, no doubt about it. So let let me let me ask you about this. I want to uh, put these names out there to you. Like we've had Anthony Anderson on the show. So Anthony Anderson, P. Diddy, Laz Alonzo, uh, Shy, Wendy Raquel Robinson, Ananda Lewis. I know I'm miss, missing a whole bunch more other people, but all of and you were all like at Howard at the same time. It's absolutely unbelievable so can you talk about that time your time at Howard with all of that talent um <clears throat> the only person that I encountered at Howard was Marlon Wayans my first my freshman year um he was we were in the same acting one-on-one class and then his brothers you know what happened and then he left <laughs> <laughs> right. and then um uh, Anthony Anderson was the only one I really, Anthony Anderson and Paula J. Parker were the only yep. ones I really kind of like encountered while I was there. Um, Isaiah Washington and Wendy Raquel Robinson, they had just left the year that I enrolled. Okay. Um, they had left the previous year. So I wasn't there at the same time they were there, but I was right on their heels because, you know, I was derailed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I took a detour. Right. And I was at North Carolina A&T. Yeah. So, um, once I got there and once I got to Howard and I started hearing of all the names of the people, that's, you know, when I would go to movies and I would see Paula J. Parker or I saw Anthony Anderson doing something, that's that's what gave me my wings and my um, determination to, to know that I could parlay this education into some real money because I saw people that I saw in the hallways, the same hallways I walked on the big screen. So they made it tangible for me. Yeah, no question about it. And then before, you know, obviously before you, you had the likes of the Allen sisters and yes. so many others. So, so when you yeah. see that, but it wasn't even that I saw them. They came back to the school to talk to me, to talk to the students. You know what I mean? So they actually, they made it even more tangible. You know, because they reached great heights, you know, the Cosby Show, which became an international success. That was the first black show to ever, you know, reach that kind of success. And, um, you know, Debbie Allen, you know, producing uh, and, and directing the Oscars and, you know, all the things that, you know, they made it me believe I could dream the biggest dream. But, you know, I went to school, I went to Howard knowing that. But once I was in Howard and I saw actual people that I roamed the halls with, broke bread with in the cafeteria on that big screen, that's when I was like, oh, oh, this is real. Like, I can, I can, I can really be real with this. This is not just a dream or something far away. Like, Debbie and them made it seem, even though they came back to talk to us, it seemed, it's still as a, a hungry student out in that audience looking for answers and the, the blueprint, it still felt far, you know? But to see, like, people that I actually was walk, roaming the halls with on the screen, that's actually what made made me believe. Like, it made it tangible. That's the only way I can put it. Yeah. It made it very tangible. Actress Taraji P. Henson joining us back in April. I call her the queen. You know, it took 10 years of requests to get Taraji P. Henson on from the press box to press row, and we were finally able to do it. We continue with the month of April up next. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Road Town 2019 year end review show. We continue in the month of April and former pro golfer 
great that is, Lee Elder received the Bob Jones Award, the 2019 Bob Jones Award, and he is a all-time great golfer, one of the few black golfers on the circuit, really all-time. And we had a chance to catch up with Lee Elder here on From the Press Box to Press Row back in April. Well, the times were, were pretty pretty rough. And the reason why I said they were pretty rough because there was just certain places, you know, along the way where we could, uh, even at that time, where we could, uh, where we could, uh, where the hotels and things where we could stay. And also the facilities that uh, we could go and dine in were, you know, it was pretty uh, prevalent also. But so uh, it was certainly a, a time that uh, uh, you, you you would like to have had some more, more players out there with you because of the fact that it was pretty lonesome, you know, to to be out there and a lot of times to be uh, uh, to be by yourself most of the time and uh, to uh, not saying that I didn't make friends with other players but it was just, it's just not like uh, someone that uh, uh, that you that pretty much that you've been knowing for some time uh, are pretty much uh, the, the same uh, nationality as you so you can talk about a lot of a lot of things because a lot of the a lot of the white players that I was very close to well had become very close to uh, the talking were not the one that I would, had been used to. It was a different situation. So I felt that, uh, well, gee, if I had uh, someone that I could, uh, you know, talk to and spend some time with, even though Charlie Shippard were, were out, out on the tour at the time and so was Rafe Botts, it was a, it was a situation to where we all pretty much went uh, in, our, in, our own, in our own direction, except for Rafe. Rafe and I were certainly uh, pretty close. But uh, Charlie was the type of person that uh, he, he seemed to have wanted to be along and 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 also to. Uh, I'd encourage you to listen to the interview with Lee Elder in its entirety. It can be found on our website at botchtorow.com. We had a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Continuing in the month of April, the National Football League draft uh either was in april or early may i don't remember at this point but in any event titus howard now former alabama state star offensive lineman joined us prior to the draft here on the program and if you were to be selected in the first round you'd be the first hbcu player to be selected in the first round since dominic rogers cromarty back in the 2007 uh nfl draft to be considered Maybe the top offensive lineman, certainly one of the well, one of the top offensive linemen coming from a smaller school, and more specifically, an HBCU. What does that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, just to, you know, being at a place, you know, just just to, uh, alone, you know, tell you that uh, no matter what school you go to, what university, you know, you have a chance to, you know, be great. It's all about what you gotta do to get there. You gotta put the work in, and they they gonna find you wherever you are. Uh, I came to college as a walk-on and uh, earned a scholarship and, you know, put the work in. I went to Alabama State, which is HBCU, and they found me. So no matter where you go, they're going to find you. And that Texans offensive line, much maligned. But guess what? Texans playing some good football right now. Deshaun Watson in the running for league MVP. And Titus Howard ultimately went in the first round to the Texans, and has landed on the 2019 All-Rookie Team. So congratulations to Titus Howard. Another offensive lineman, a potential National Football League draft pick from an HBCU, Joshua Miles of Morgan State, also joined us on April here on the program. And, of course, Morgan has a great legacy if you go back in the day, as you know, and people don't really Definitely. don't really know that. And, of course, you're you're looking to become part of the newer legacy, if you will, um, sort of in that same vein. Um, speak to us, man, about being an HBCU guy. Again, you're only four classes away from graduating graduating and that at the bottom line is. Guys can play football at HBCUs in the MEAC and it can also excel on the next level. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, guys like Tariq Cullen and, and uh, Darius Leonard and Brandon Parker, you know, they definitely came in. And, oh, and Ryan Smith and, uh, you know, Javon Hargraves, you know, those guys came and, and kicked the door down for sure. 
you know, and then, and now it's just exposing, you know, the rest of us to, to, uh, to greatness. You know, we, we've all got, uh, you know, a lot of greatness in us. I mean, it, it, just because you go to an HBCU, you know, there, there shouldn't be a stereotype or a, um, or, or a prejudice toward black college football. You know, there's, there's been so many legends who have come out of the MEAC and the SWAC. I mean, um, Morgan State has the most Hall of Famers of any HBCU in the, in, in the uh, NFL Hall of Fame right now. And, I mean, you know, Steve McNair, he came out of Alcorn. And, you know, there's a whole, there's a long list of guys who, who came from small schools and HBCU who, you know, did great things. Walter Payton, that's another one. Um, I mean, you know, it, 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 I, could, I could go on and on. But, um, I mean, the tradition is there. It, it's amazing, you know, the, the, the black fingerprints that are all over pro football uh, that people don't even realize, you know. So I just want to be a, another part of the legacy. Just want to join that brotherhood. Joshua Miles ultimately selected in the seventh round by the Cardinals has worked his way up. Now second on the depth chart for the Cardinals at left tackle has played in seven games so far this season. Also joining us in April, lastly here on the program, NASCAR driver Brad Keselowski. Of course, you won the 2012 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Do you see some parallels as we currently stand between this season and that season of 2012 in which you won it all? Yeah, we had some early season wins, and we had uh, some dominant victories like what we had in Martinsville this year. We had that in that season as well. Uh, And we were capable of running up front each and every week. So, uh, yeah, a lot of parallels, and, and that just speaks to the strength of the team that we're able to continue to perform at a high level year after year. Brad Keselowski ultimately finished eighth in the Cup Series. Kicking off the month of May here on From the Press Box to Press Row, former NBA player and head coach Lindsey Hunter joined us on the program and ultimately now played his collegiate ball at Jackson State, is ultimately now the head men's basketball coach at Mississippi Valley State. At Jackson State, why was this the right job for you here at Mississippi or at Mississippi Valley State? Well, I, I think when you look at the timing and, and kind of the way things happen, and, and me, you know, uh, wanting to to have my own program and, and start my own program and build it, it's just it just came around at the at the perfect time for me. And, and I think, uh, you know, um, at the stage uh, that Valley is at right now, and, and where I'm at in my career, wanting to you know, build something special and do something special at an HBCU is just the right time and, and the right uh, place for me right now, you know, and being back home, you know, made the, the decision a little easier. Yeah, what were those times in the SWAC and more specifically at Jackson State like you were definitely a superstar uh, at Jackson State and in the SWAC? Oh, it was great for me, man. I, I, I had the time of my life in college, and, and I tell uh, – I'll tell anybody that that I wouldn't change that experience for anything in the world. I just remember when we were um, we played in Hawaii my senior year, and um, I think Kansas was there, uh, Nebraska, and, and uh, Michigan with Fab Five, and um, I made the all tournament team, you know, right alongside those guys, and they were asking me, man, you know, um, would you have wanted to play with the Fab Five? And, I, and my answer was, of course, had they came to Jackson State, I would have loved to play. With them. <laughs> Lindsey Hunter kicking off the month of May. Lastly, in the month of May, Chesley Christ, currently Miss USA, joined us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Kaylee Garris is Miss Teen USA. Nia Franklin. Yeah, Kaylee Garris. Kaylee, yep. And then, of course, Nia Franklin, Miss America, and then yourself as Miss USA. Three African-American women holding the crown at one time. Never has happened uh, before. And, and rarely, I mean, when you even think about it, I mean, it's rare that, uh, you know, black women are even, uh, whether it's Miss Teen USA, Miss America, Miss USA. What does that mean to you? Well, it's really important to me, especially knowing um, some of the origins of pageantry, knowing that, you know, years, decades ago, there are some national um, pageants that would not allow black contestants to compete. And that's kind of where, you know, competitions like Miss Black USA or Miss Black America emerged because black women could not compete. We were not allowed to. So now having Miss USA, Miss Dean USA, and Miss America all be women of color is incredible, especially knowing um, kind of where pageantry started. And you can listen to that interview in its entirety on our From the Press Box to Press Row podcast 
from May 18th from the Press Box to Press Row Podcast from May 18th. We got real in-depth. Of course, she ran track at the University of South Carolina, was a pretty good track runner, as a matter of fact. So check out that interview on our website. That's going to wrap it up for a look at the months of January through May 2019 on our year-end review show here on From the Press Box to Press Row. On next week's show, we're going to take a look at the months of July through December. July through December. Next week will be our last show of 2019, so you don't want to miss that. Super excited uh, for you to be able to hear that show right here on the radio station you're currently listening to. Celebration Bowl, of course, taking place on Saturday. I'm going to be in Atlanta. Very much looking forward to calling that football game. North Carolina A&T and Alcorn State really broke the game down. You can log on to our website, of course, at BoxToRow.com and listen to the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Really broke the game down between the Aggies and the Braves. Should be a great one. If you want to hear my call, you can. I'll have the link uh, on my Twitter account, at DWare1. Also, on my Instagram account, WearDonald. WearDonald, I'll have the link for you to be able to listen to the the game, the broadcast of the game, coming on with the pregame show at 11 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Easter. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. And I'll talk with you right back here next week. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.